So in Mark's gospel, the, the Jesus that we encounter is a Jesus who is on the move, a Jesus who constantly does things. So in Matthew, Mark and Luke, or Matthew, Luke, and John, we have a teaching Jesus with the longer Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and then these long, passionate, prayerful discourses, intimate discourses in John's gospel. In Luke, we have a, a Jesus whose teaching proclaims the immediacy of God's kingdom, the nearness of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is among you. That's, that's Jesus and Luke. But in Mark, the action is fast-paced. Mark uses the, the Greek adverb euthus. Everybody just say euthus. There's your Greek word for the day. And so that means immediately to keep things moving. Mark uses it 26 times in this story of Jesus' ministry to set up the next thing that Jesus is going to do. Mark's Jesus is a Jesus who has work to do. He has people to bless, people to heal, and people to save. The time is short and the time is now in Mark's gospel. And that's one of the beauties, I think, of the New Testament. Each writer brings their own perspective, their own way of framing Jesus' mission and ministry, but they also bring their own reaction to what Jesus does. And it occurs to me that that's really what we all do. Jesus meets us where we are because each one of us is different. No one of us is the same. On any given day, our experiences of life and love and community and hope are different. Our expectations are different. Our worries and our fears are different. Our challenges and struggles are different. And yes, the things that we ask God for are different. So the fact that they're different doesn't keep us from coming to God with the things that are on our heart. It's because those things are our things. They're the things that give us joy. They are the things that, that keep us up at 3 a.m. They are the things that uniquely grow us and shape us in our faith. So all that we think about God, we imagine inside of our unique context in life. In fact, I, I would go so far as to make this observation that all theology, all thinking about God is contextual. There is no thinking about God or God's purposes or God's grace or God's love that isn't shaped by someone's experience of God. And so that's what Mark is doing as he moves his story along quickly, his story of Jesus' compassion and healing. That's what Matthew, Luke, and John are doing when they focus on specific teachings that Jesus gives. That's what Paul and Peter and James are doing in their pastoral letters when they offer practical pastoral advice to their churches. They are all looking around at their different communities, all of their people with all of their people's stuff. And they're asking the question, how does Jesus do what Jesus does for them? Because if you haven't caught my drift yet, we are all different. And yet we all share something incredibly life-transforming together in common. 
So isn't it interesting that the Gospels are chock full of stories of different, uniquely situated people seeking after that powerful and life-giving thing together. They're going after what God has for them together as a community. So the story we read this morning gives us a prime illustration of someone going to great lengths to literally grab hold of whatever it is that, that Jesus has for her. So Mark begins this story with a crowd of people thronging around Jesus, and they've heard about the miracles of healing that Jesus has been performing. And it's possible that they were there to to see a miracle. It's possible that they were there perhaps to receive a miracle themselves. And even though the, the crowd is large and pressing in on Jesus in our scripture this morning, Mark records the personal testimony of only one of them a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years straight. She has been to see all of the doctors. She has spent, it says, all of her money trying to find a fix, and she has heard someone speak of the miracle worker from Galilee. So remember, Mark's gospel is all about, it's all about action, and it's short on speeches. So we aren't told if she has any clue about Jesus' claims to be the, the way, the truth, and the life, like we find in John, or any notion about Jesus being God's Messiah. We just don't know. Mark doesn't talk about that. There's no evidence that she knows about Jesus' teaching that God's kingdom is near. Her faith is different. Her faith isn't about a doctrine about Jesus, her faith is simply having heard a testimony that Jesus heals. And maybe if she can get close to him, he will do for her what the doctors could not. So she presses into the crowd with desperation and she says to herself, If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. So she reaches forward and touches the edge of of Jesus' robe. And and what she touched could possibly have been called the the tzitzit, the tassels of of a rabbi's cloak. And they would have been a sign of Jesus' authority as a teacher. And again, these these are possibilities only known to those who are actually there. What Mark records, though, is that in an instant, the flow of blood stopped. She was healed instantly. So interestingly, and in a way I can't explain, Jesus feels that the power to heal has been transferred from him to this, to this person, to someone in the crowd. And so he turns to his disciples and he asks, who touched me, who has, who's reached out, who has pressed through? The disciples are dumbfounded. Look around, Jesus. The crowd is huge. It could be any one of them. Let's just keep moving through. And Jesus isn't satisfied. Yes, there is a crowd. But Jesus wants a name. Jesus wants a face. He wants a person, an individual. So Jesus stops in his tracks. Who touched me? Jesus asked the crowd. And as I put myself in the place of this 
woman. I'm, I'm wondering if I were her. I'm wondering if I did something wrong, right? And as a woman in what was likely a, a crowd of men and, and as a woman who was sick and bleeding and just wanting to sink into the crowd, I'm thinking that I don't want to be singled out in any way. Please just let me stay anonymous. Jesus isn't having it. He looks around to see who has touched him, and maybe he makes eye contact with the woman. Mark doesn't say. Mark does say that the woman comes forward and drops to her knees at the feet of Jesus in this resigned gesture of surrender and humility. It was me, Jesus. I touched you. You were my last hope. I tried, but no one else could help me. I heard about you, and I came to the place where you would be. And there was this crowd, and I didn't know what to do, so I pressed through. And then silence. And then Jesus. Daughter, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Go now in peace and be healed of your disease. And that's the last we hear in scripture of the woman who was bleeding, but now is healed. And the sense I have of reading the Bible is, is not only all theology contextual, it's also true for those who wrote the Bible that everything is teachable. Every story, every testimony, every encounter is pregnant with meaning. Every person's contact with Jesus becomes a touch point of grace and restoration and hope. And the woman from this story offers a living witness recorded in Mark and again in Luke of her own story of what happens when someone encounters Jesus. But her witness resonates forward, even to our own time, to this present moment. It becomes a paradigm of what someone risks when they dare to press forward through the crowd toward Jesus. Because you see, I was raised to believe that salvation was a matter of what I believed about Jesus. What this woman's story teaches us is that salvation is a matter of pressing through in faith simply to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. I want you to think about that. And in doing that, she takes these huge risks of faith. She risks vulnerability and weakness. She realizes that she can't do it on her own. She needs the help of someone else. And she doesn't even seem to know that much about Jesus, except that he has a reputation for healing people. And when I think of one of the characteristics of our present culture that we live in that differs so greatly from this woman's story, it's our own unwillingness to confess that we would ever need anyone's help at all. Until we do until we come to the end of our physical, emotional, and spiritual resources and realize that we were never meant to live life alone 
self-deceived in our self-sufficiency. We were meant to depend on the strength of God. We were designed to depend on the strength of one another. The earliest Christians in Acts chapter 2 shared all things in common, and this was no accident of faith. It was absolutely core to their faith. Because life alone meant a life isolated and separated out and ultimately defeated by the enemy. But life together was a life of a cord of three strands with a kind of strength that can't be torn apart, even in the toughest and most challenging of times. If you need proof of that, talk to me after the service and I will give you a testimony even from this past week of how strong a community can surround those who are going through challenging times. Another thing that the woman risks is being exposed and she already has the deck stacked against her and in Jesus' time by simply being a woman and then there's being a woman who is ritually impure by by bleeding and and then there's being a woman who's bleeding and, and so desperate to feel whole again that she is willing to push through the crowd no matter what anyone thinks because what matters is being restored and just feeling whole again. Just feeling human again. And I wonder how many of us wonder who's watching, who's judging us and evaluating us as we do whatever it takes just to be whole again. And I wonder how many of us would actually feel the way we long to feel if we just simply drew close to the source of life and healing without wondering who's watching. The woman in our story brackets that out. All she can see and all she can taste and all she can feel is what it's like to be made whole again and to be restored. But you have to figure that one of the other things that she's risking is also just the risk of disappointment. What if I press through this crowd and I, and I touch the tzitzit, the hem of Jesus' garment, the tassels on his robe, and nothing happens at all? And then I would be disappointed and vulnerable and exposed. And here we have to fall back on the stories. And that's where I began this morning. In the middle of the first century, in the midst of incredible persecution and hardship, famine and disease, the earliest Christians were huddled together telling stories and sharing testimonies of how their lives were changed forever by coming to know a rabbi from Nazareth. They were barely even what we would call a church today. They were basically just communities of people who shared stories and some wine and some bread and they prayed together, they hoped together, they served together. They served together the ones in their society no one else would even look at. That's how deep their experience of Jesus was. They had a new vision of life together. And so here's some good news for us this morning. 
All those things that we read in the New Testament of hungry people being fed, of the blind receiving sight, of people being able to walk again, of hope being given, these aren't just stories we tell our children so that they learn how to be nice and kind. These are stories of different people who met Jesus, which now resonates powerfully with our own story of our own brokenness and our own longings for hope. So let me say this as clear as I can. They become our stories today. Our stories of faith, our stories of perseverance, our stories of pressing through the crowd are added as another verse of the church's larger witness to the healing presence of Christ in the world. And it's no accident that the early Christians took to referring to themselves as the body of Christ. And, and, and they meant more in that than just simply the people that gathered together in Jesus' name. They meant something more literal if you read Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. They literally meant that they had been given the power by God to become the head, the heart, the hands, and feet of Jesus to continue the ministry that Jesus had begun. They believed people would experience healing and salvation through what God was doing through them and in them. So I'm leading a class on Wednesday nights during Lent, and we're reading together Amy J. Levine's book, Witnesses at the Cross. And so she takes in that book different people who were present at the crucifixion, and she asks the question how we might understand what the saving work of Jesus could have meant to those people there. And, and then she draws it forward and asks, analogously, she asks, what does it mean to be saved today? And so here's what she says in her book. She says, in Israel's scriptures, being saved usually means not an end of life or an end of time situation. It means being rescued from whatever ills beset us today. Slavery in Egypt, exile in Babylon, famine or plague, threats of war, death from disease. The acts of saving can be the entry of the divine into history, but it can also be, and here you go, it can also be a human act of healing, of protection, of economic support, of peacemaking. Saving is something that is not restricted to the divine, she says. Saving is something that we can all do. You know, I can't wait to hear the stories um, from our friends who have just come back from Guatemala. I see Anne here this morning. This is their first Sunday back. So I've been receiving texts from them all week long. And so I've had some hints of their experience while they were down there. But what I know is that they experienced some things that remember, resemble closely some of the things we read about in the Bible, both in being a healing presence, but also in some of the wholeness making they received from those in Guatemala while they were there, the people who ministered to them. So I'm looking forward to their stories. And I suspect this, that God's desire today is to use our church to be the body of Christ and add our testimony to the larger life-transforming testimony and story of the love and healing, the reconciliation and restoration of people in Christ. Let's pray together. 
Gracious God, we are so thankful for your presence here today. We are thankful for the many ways, even in our own lives, we have encountered your powerful presence. Some of us experiencing radical transformation and healing. Some of us being guided gently by your, your wisdom and goodness and grace. And in all things, being called to be a people who wear the name Body of Christ who as you work transformation and wholeness in us, we are empowered to speak life and healing and wholeness to others. So thank you for that ministry. Thank you for the vision you have cast over our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said,